The Future is Inclusive is produced on Ngunnawal Country, and we pay our respects to Elders past, present and future, especially those who identify as having a disability. These actually need a big fix. It's not the kind, it needs the investment and tangible measures. It's not the kind of thing that we're going to fix with an education campaign or a few flyers or even this podcast. Like it, it requires some action that is f- across government, the medical profession itself, and allies in order to make a difference. This is The Future is Inclusive, and that was the voice of Craig Wallace from the ACT Council of Social Service. He's talking about diagnostic overshadowing, which is just one of many issues that people with disability experience when they try to access health services. I'm Cara Matthews, and this episode is all about the barriers to access that people with disabilities face in the health system. We're going to look at everything, from a trip to the GP to a trip to emergency, and really talk about what you and I can do as individuals. So I've learned a lot about access to health for people with disabilities recently. Um, I did a project with Rebus training health professionals. And to do that, we wanted to talk to the community about what their issues were. And there were a lot of stories about diagnostic overshadowing. It was quite interesting because there were also stories that went beyond that, where they were talking about, you know, presenting with anxiety and therefore nothing they were saying was true. And there were stories about people um, having doctors come into the room and start touching and examining them without asking. So they're having all these people they don't know touching them without knowing who they were or why. So another thing that came up a lot was someone bringing a support person to their appointment and then having the professional talk to the support person the whole time instead of the patient, which is really frustrating and I get it because it has happened to me. Uh, So I was in a depressive episode and brought a friend along with me to a doctor's appointment and they spoke to them the whole time and never even asked how I was. So as someone who was already quite depressed and feeling disempowered, that really wasn't a great thing to make me feel like I could get better. In 2019, the ACT Council of Social Service, or ACTCOS, released a report called Imagining Better, which looked at access, choice and control in ACT health services for people with disabilities. Producer Kim Lester and I spoke to Craig Wallace, who is the policy manager of ACTCOS, about some of the key issues that came out of that report. One of the things that people with disabilities told us consistently is that because of their lack of incomes and uh, the use of bulk billing practice, that people often feel very rushed. So they're only presenting when they absolutely need to go to the doctor and then they're like when they need a medical certificate to be off work or they're actually in crisis. And they're not getting having the time to actually go through and get an idea of what are all of the things that are happening for them health-wise and preventative measures that they can actually take. I think that there's a set of issues around acknowledging that hospitals are intimidating and stressful places for some people with disabilities who've had negative experiences in them or have had negative experiences with things like doctors doing Centrelink assessments. Like, it's fundamentally problematic. 
to have the same people who are assessing you for access to income support also then turning around and providing a service that's meant to be to be helpful and to help you maintain health like those two objectives are in conflict and we've seen in the lived experience work that ACTOS has done that there are some people that have actually been made worried and concerned about accessing general practice because they've had a bad experience in that kind of assessment um, placed for them. I'd say that it's important to be curious and inquisitive, particularly about perverse outcomes. For instance, I use a wheelchair. Imagine that you broke your hand. Well, you'd probably be able to get around with a splint for a while. It would be inconvenient and nasty. And please don't do it. We don't want that yeah. to happen. But, but, but if it did happen, like, you could kind of survive. But if I did it, it would mean I actually couldn't push my wheelchair, I couldn't ambulate, I couldn't get in the car, I couldn't get in the toilet, I couldn't get into bed. Effectively, from breaking a finger, I could need to be in nursing care for a while. So really be conscious of those kind of contraindications or perverse outcomes can be much bigger for people with a disability. I also think that there are things like around consultation. Talk to your patients with disability about what kind of exam bed might actually work for them. Um, Ways that they could make information available that is more clearly understandable and able to be interpreted for them. Also just being flexible in the ways that people can access care. That some people, the actual journey getting to a treatment place is as arduous as the treatment itself. And so offering things like home visits uh, or offering services that can be done in place or over the phone can also be helpful to them as well. Is there things that the general public can do um, in terms of being better allies in this space? Um, I think that in terms of just picking up the kinds of gaps in, in access and thinking about, well, actually, I'm visiting my local GP. Uh, that has a step into it. Does that really need to happen? Um, thinking about what might happen if your own condition or health changes. I mean, the reality of disability is that it's not something that just happens to one group of people in a corner. It potentially happens to all of us. So if I was a member of a public who doesn't have a disability now and is using the health system, I'd be asking myself, well, what would happen if I'm not able to transfer onto that examination bed anymore because I've developed a disability and raising that with with your doctor? I mean, that's a very powerful thing that unlikely people can actually do to intervene and to get their medical professionals thinking about it. I think that there are some basic issues here in terms of of understanding that we've all got a role in ensuring that people who have got a disability or other barriers can meet basic costs in life. So one of the things that we know is that the lack of job opportunities and the lack of good incomes are one of the biggest indicators of poor health. So now is the time to get on board and do things like support basic level increases to New Start, because many people with disabilities are on New Start, and the reality is that you simply cannot afford to keep a roof over your head. And often, what you're doing, making is making compromises 
in the access to dentistry, to preventative health and to psychiatry. So the community getting behind campaigns like that that actually ensure that people aren't made sick by the process of being poor is really important as well. So we heard Craig talk about the issue of diagnostic overshadowing earlier. He had a couple of examples of what can happen when we struggle to look beyond disability. Let's say that you had a broken arm. They would be treating you for what you're presenting with. But a person with a disability presents as different from the get-go. And yet perhaps what we're actually presenting with is an issue that's unrelated um, to that physical appearance and is just like you might have a cold or have appendicitis or have a dental problem, that that's the one that actually needs to be fixed. So we've got a, an actual word for that or a, a phrase called diagnostic overshadowing. So that's the idea that somebody might present with their disability and an underlying health condition and a series of symptoms and what people try to treat is the disability on the spot. Now, there's actually been some quite you know, spectacular fails here. A woman that I knew that was a paraplegic in Sydney who was complaining of nausea and of just feeling generally unwell and having headaches. And they said, oh, well, that's your... Um, some issues around your spinal injury that are actually playing up. Well, it turns out she actually had stage 3 bowel cancer and that that had gone through her system and it hadn't been gotten in time because that hadn't been treated so that's a, a quite spectacular example. Um, there are other examples, though, with uh, people with... Well, I've heard you in Canberra, so people with an intellectual disability um, who've been in, say, a group home setting, and all of a sudden that person is, is, is edgy, is acting out, is perhaps acting in ways that expose them to the risk of winding up in restraint or being given extra medication... Um, is crying all of the time and people imagine that it's about their disability or a change in cognitive function but actually they've got a toothache that hasn't been treated that they haven't been able to express or talk about and nobody's taken the time to actually sit down and in using a range of tools work out what the underlying issue is for that person. So that's what diagnostic overshadowing looks like. It looks like actually treating the person's disability um, rather than realising that actually, you know, I present with a range of impairments but some of them are pretty stable. It might just be that I need my cold treated or I need my ear unblocked or I need a range of sort of standard procedures. Are there tips or ideas about how we can communicate with people better? Yeah, there's some fairly easy things that people can do. So and they're as simple as just having a pen and paper handy if it's a person with a hearing impairment that presents. But that also means making extra time during the consultation to communicate that way. It might be um, agreeing to communicate in non-traditional ways, like actually exchanging texts um, with a person because that's how it's, it's easier for them to communicate. Making your web information accessible is another um, offering an extended con consultation, encouraging people to establish a chronic illness plan can be another thing that people can do. So it's about taking time. It's also about being robust in practice. It's about understanding that disability can have 
extra unintended implications. So one, one of the stories that was in our lived experience work was uh, a guy who was at uh, a hospital and had an underlying condition where that affected his, his continence and he was prescribed some medication that probably would have worked fairly slowly um, with someone else but worked fairly violently for him. So I think in that instance there actually wasn't a good understanding of the person's impairment on top of the person's logistical challenges and what else they had to do in their life. Are there people within inside the medical profession, secondary people who tend to be the allies? I'd probably answer this by actually talking about the role of of carers and support people who might accompany a person with a disability. And I actually think that their role is twofold. It is around helping the person, helping to discover truth in terms of making sure that there is you know, full knowledge of what is going on with the person when they present. But it's also not replacing the person in the conversation. So um, some of the stories that we've heard have been or where things have gone wrong is where the practitioner starts talking to the carer or the spouse of a person with a disability rather than assuming that the disabled person has actually been managing their own condition for decades and is the expert in managing it. So there are some small things we can do, but many of the barriers to health for people with disabilities are systemic. That doesn't mean there are no ideas for addressing them. We think there needs to be some disability confidence training to staff and health professionals, both in the primary and tertiary system. Um, Part of that cultural change actually needs to be having people with disabilities employed in the health sector. I mean, it's actually not like there can't be workarounds so that you can be a practising doctor with a disability. That happens in other countries. But I'd be hard-pressed to actually think of anyone here in Canberra that presents like that. There may be, but I don't know that there is. I think there also needs to be some quite dedicated training and work on those diagnostic overshadowing issues. We advocate for there to be much more lived experience involvement in the rollout of health kit. So for instance, the bowel testing kit that is available to all over 50s, we had a blind person tell us rather persuasively that some of the the way that you open that and the sharp objects in it actually make that quite difficult for a blind person to use. Well, who knew? Because nobody tested it um, with a blind person beforehand. And lastly, there's a thing about information. So people not having, and that being a two-way issue. So people... Uh, with disabilities not having good information about low-cost options and workarounds. We spoke to some people that didn't know about the worst walk-in centres, that weren't aware uh, of a list of bulk billing services. We also think the information that needs to go the other way is information about disability confidence and what actual staff and doctors can do and ways that people can communicate um, with disabled people in healthcare settings as well as actual information on disabilities themselves so that people know if they've got a patient that is presenting um, with uh, Down syndrome or with a disability that has a range of health issues around the impairment, this is where I can direct that person and this is what else might be going on for that person at the same time.
we've got some of the lowest levels of base level income support in the OECD um, for people. So actually getting that right. We are ahead of the curve in terms of the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Where I think we're not ahead of the curve is ensuring that we've got good agreements between systems, between the disability system and the healthcare system, so that we're getting that part of it right and it's seamlessly experienced by the person at the other end. So that's almost everything, except the toolkit, of course. What can you do as an ally to make health more accessible for people with disability? Well, you can be an access detective. And if you notice something inaccessible at the doctor's office or the dentist or the hospital, speak up. You can offer to be a support person for somebody who's going to appointment, even if you're not a carer. And if you do, and the doctor starts talking to you instead of them, you can make it clear that you are not the patient and they should talk to your friend. Next time on The Future is Inclusive, we will talk about access to justice. Frequently, people are not seen to be credible witnesses. How do you get up into a court and explain what's happening when it's really easy for people to bamboozle you? And when you are in a court situation or you have people in front of you who um, are very serious and they're using very complex language, it's really easy to get confused or to give the impression that you're confused. That's next time on The Future is Inclusive. This podcast is funded by the ACT Office for Disability. I'm Cara Matthews and thanks this week to Craig Wallace and our wonderful producer, Kim Lester.